Blog Talk Radio. The Stone and Tile Show is proud to be sponsored by the National Tile Contractors Association. The NTCA is a leading trade association in the tile and stone industry dedicated to professional installation of ceramic tile and natural stone. With more than 1,500 members representing thousands of installers, NTCA works hard to be a strong voice for proper installation and qualified labor. The association invests in a professional staff to provide technical support and assistance and offers free educational seminars and regional training opportunities around the country. To learn more about what the NTCA can offer for you or your business, go to the website www.tile-assn.com. That's www.tile-assn.com. Welcome, folks, to the Stone and Tile Show. I'm your host, Fred Houston, and uh, sorry about that little blooper there. In the very beginning, I, I hit the wrong intro music, so ignore that. I'm trying to be the technician and the host here at the same time. But anyway, it's kind of an interesting story uh, for this week's show. Someone asked me the other day what my pet peeves are uh, in the stone and tile industry, and I sat down. I, w- I was on a trip to Miami the other day, and sat down and came up with a a list and originally started out as one or two things. And I ended up with two pages uh, full of pet peeves, but um, I'm going to bore you with some of those. Some of those, these I may have mentioned in some of my other shows. I know I've mentioned them in my seminars, but uh, uh, hopefully I'll I'll try to try to make these pet peeves educational (laughs) as well. I mean, that's the whole purpose of why I started this show a little over a year ago was to uh, educate the stone and tile industry as much as I possibly can and interview interesting people. So if if you haven't listened to some of the past shows, they're all, every single one of them is available on podcast uh, on the, on the website. Just go to my Facebook page and you can see the link there or just send me an email at F Houston, F H U E S. T-O-N at gmail.com. Be more than happy to send you that link so you can listen to those. And I believe, I know I can download them. I believe you can even download those. And, uh, you know, with today's technology, you can listen to them in your car uh, uh, while you're exercising or, or whatever. Now, also, I will mention, as I did on Facebook today, promoting this show. If you have a pet peeve, I'd, I'd like to hear it. Just uh, give us a call at 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. So, uh, oh, actually, one more announcement before I get started here with my pet peeves is my seminar is full. Uh, So uh, for the January seminar coming up, it is full. However, I still have the correspondence course available, uh, which is available at a reduced price. Uh, Also, uh, I am taking names for a waiting list. Sometimes I get some last-minute cancellations, so... Uh, if you want to be put on a waiting list, uh, go ahead and send me an email or give me a call. And also, if you want to sign up for the next class, I don't know quite yet when the next class will be. I'm hoping this summer sometime in Florida. And again, I always do them in January in Vegas. So uh, keep an eye on the website, stoneforensics.com, 
uh, for announcements on that. Okay, some of my pet peeves. One of the pet peeves I, I get all the time, and this usually comes from customers who have purchased stone for their home or even you know businesses, and they'll say, Fred, I got a poor quality stone. I ordered this particular type of stone. I saw the samples, and it's a poor quality stone. And that really gets my goat up simply because there is no such thing as a poor quality stone, guys. Think about it. What is stone? It's a rock. It comes out of the ground. It's not poor quality. Now, we can have poor fabrication, poor installation, poor products that are used to install it, maintain it, cut it. it any of those factors can come into play with 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 stone. Now, not necessarily a man-made product like like ceramic tile or porcelain tile or glass, but with stone, we're dealing with a rock. So, I don't really like when someone uses a word poor quality stone. Uh, it could be the wrong choice of stone for that particular application. You know, using something like Negro Negro Marquina in a airport baggage claim area would not be the proper use for that particular type of stone but that doesn't mean the stone is poor quality. Now, one of the things I get along this particular subject is that everyone goes back to the natural stone industry's design manual and they look up the soundness classifications and marble and limestone are classified as most of you know, uh, into A, B, C, and D groups, D being the least sound and A being the best sound. That has nothing to do with qualities. The soundness classification was started by then the Marble Institute of America back, I believe, in the 1950s, and it was for fabricators. It was to tell fabricators how much repair work, how much what they called back in those days waxing and sticking they had to do, which in today's terms means just simply filling. So when you have a, a piece of marble or limestone that has a lot of voids and a lot of veins and has a lot of holes in it, that might be a class C or class D soundness where a, a really sturdy stone with very little veining, something like maybe Thassos white or white Carrero be considered an A. Do not confuse that with quality. And that's, that's my pet peeve there. Second pet peeve I have, and I get this all the time. As a matter of fact, I was just on an inspection down the South where this particular uh, subject came up. And let me tell you what happens. Someone has a flood in their home, whether it's a water heater breaking a, a hose, breaking in the back of the dishwasher, a hurricane, regardless. The stone or tile floor, for that matter, floods. And all of a sudden, they file a claim with the insurance company. And the insurance, the claim is, hey, you know what? Now all my tiles are hollow. And it was caused by the flood. Think about that. And I go over this in detail in my seminar. And that is, what is your setting mortar? Whether it's a mud set, whether it's a thin set, it's Portland cement. Portland cement is hydraulic. And under water, it actually cures. It gets harder with water. So in these cases, those hollow sounds were always there. They're just using the excuse of the flood to get themselves a new floor. And if they call me in on the project, uh, I kind of flush those dreams down the toilet because uh, – Hollow sounds are not caused by flooding. They're not caused by water on the floor. They were there from the get-go. Uh, water is only going to make that, that bond or that much stronger. And, and once that bond is created, it's already there. You're not going to break that bond short of going in and pulling those tiles up by force. 
and uh, a flood is not going to do that, guys. So anyway, uh, the other pet peeve uh, is probably one of my first ever pet peeves when I started this business almost 40 years ago. And that is, and it's still, I can't believe this pet peeve is still going around. I see it on websites. I see it on reputable websites. I see installers recommend this all the time. And you probably know what I'm getting at. You go in, you install a beautiful marble or limestone floor, and they ask you, how do I maintain it? How do I keep it clean? And they are still recommending vinegar and water. Vinegar, folks, is acetic acid. It will etch marble. If it's diluted enough, it won't etch marble or limestone, but over time, it will dull the finish. So I don't recommend using vinegar at all on any stone surfaces. Now, porcelain tile, uh, ceramic tile, or other surfaces, it may be fine on, but for stone, particularly marble and limestone, vinegar and water is not the thing to do. As a matter of fact, uh, I saw a post on a famous uh, home decor person uh, that uh, had a recommendation for polishing dull marble, and she recommended using salt and lemon. And uh, you guys that are in the business, I don't need to tell you why that's wrong. Lemon, of course, is acid, and it will etch and dull uh, marble and grand, uh, marble and limestone down. My next pet peeve is a combination of two, and this is a pet peeve of many people in the industry that are actually selling stone surfaces, and that is that you don't want to use particularly granite countertops in your kitchen because not only does it emit radon, but it also contains harmful bacteria. And this is just hogwash, folks. Uh, the uh, Natural Stone Institute, you know, formerly the Marble Institute, actually did a study with, I believe it was one of the universities out in California, I don't know if it was uh, University of California or what, but they actually commissioned a study. And basically what the study says is that uh, the amount of radon coming out of granite is so minute, you would have to be encapsulated in that granite in a tomb for about 5,000 years in order to, to have a problem uh, with radon. So radon is not an issue. Uh, the second issue is bacteria. Uh, and, you know, it, it's funny. The, there was another association, I believe it was the National Housekeepers Association, that did a study by inoculating, I believe it was 10 different types of countertop material, uh, inoculated them with bacteria and came back and determined which one uh, was the most sanitary. Well, the number one sanitary uh, material out there was, can you guess? It wasn't granite, it was stainless steel, but granite came in at number two. After that, remember our butcher block countertops uh, holds a lot of bacteria. Now, this is assuming you're not cleaning your countertops. So, you know, bacteria needs something to eat. It needs, it needs an organic source. If you're cleaning your countertops, you're not going to have that organic source that's available there. It also needs a proper... Uh, moisture and it needs a bunch of different things that you normally won't find on a granite countertop. So again, these particular two pet peeves, pet peeves that are out there are are being or have been and are still being circulated by people who are selling alternative countertop materials. I won't mention any names, but uh, they're they're trying to say, oh, you don't want granite countertops because you know they contain radon or they're harmful and contain bacteria. I've heard things like. Uh, 
oh, they, they can't be repaired once they chip, and you guys in the restoration business uh, know better than that. Okay, again, folks, the number is 323-870-3968 if you want to call in with your pet peeve. Um, the five-dot method is my next pet peeve, or not necessarily the five-dot, but the dot method. I see this again and again and again. I cannot tell you how many inspections I've been on where everywhere, anywhere from a residential to, you know, very, very large projects where uh, the dot method is used. And for those of you who aren't aware of what that is, that's basically where you take a tile, again, whether it's stone or or uh, uh, ceramic porcelain tile or whatever, and they put dabs of mortar there and then press the tile. Uh, according to the NTCA, one of our sponsors, and according to me, as well as a lot of professionals out there, you do not install tile that with that method. A number of problems. First of all, you don't get uh, the proper coverage that you need, so tiles can crack, particularly on the on the corners of that particular tile. In a shower area, which I've seen a lot of dot methods being used in shower areas, water can uh, go in the back of that tile through the uh, through the channels that are created. So you need a full mortar bed. On on ceramic, uh, you're looking at I believe they recommend 85% in non-wet areas, 95% in wet areas. On stone, it's 95% all the time. So, and it's a particularly important with large format tiles. And I know we did a, a partial show on, on large format tiles and you need to have that coverage. Otherwise you're going to, going to have a problem. My next pet peeve is probably my number one pet peeve of all, well, I wouldn't say it, it's a close, it's a close number one, let's call it. And that is not reading the instructions. I see this again and again and again, where, installers, and, and I'm not just talking beginners, I'm talking you guys out there that have been in business a really, really long time, will install with the wrong setting material because you don't read the bag, you don't read the instructions. Uh, a great example of that is a lot of our resin back materials, you know, with the fiberglass mesh on the back, uh, some of them are resin without the fiberglass mesh. Those materials, in most cases, uh, are recommended to use an epoxy setting mortar, and rarely is that done. Well, what happens when that occurs is you don't get proper bond if you're not using the proper uh, proper setting material. So again, you will look on the setting bag. The first thing I do when I read a set of instructions for setting material or grout, uh, I even skip over the instructions and go right to the limitations. There's a little section on it, sometimes on the bag, uh, it's definitely on the data sheet, and you look at that, it'll tell you where, where it's not recommended to be used, and it'll be plain as day that it's not to be used on resin back materials, and some of them will actually add moisture-sensitive materials. Um, now, there are new setting materials that are coming out uh, where it can be used, but uh, in most cases, it's epoxy, so I see more failures, more bonding failures than anything else uh, when I see... Uh, the wrong setting materials used because you guys are not reading directions. Along that front is another issue, another pet peeve that I've seen many, many times over, and that's the use of liquid additives to your to your setting materials. You know, whether it's an acrylic additive, whether it's a latex additive. Uh, first of all, read the bag on the material, the setting material you're using to see if it requires. An additive, and here's the pet peeve: 
if you read most of these additives, not all of them, but most of these additives, you're to use 100% of that additive, no water. And I can't tell you how many failures I've seen were installers. And, and don't get me wrong, guys, I'm not picking on the good installers out there, obviously. I'm picking on uh, the guys that don't read. <laughs> uh, what happens is that they'll, they'll buy the additive, they'll mix their setting materials, they'll add water, and they'll add maybe a cup of additive. It does nothing. Okay. Read the directions on the additive. In most cases, not all of it, but most cases, those additives are going to be used 100% of the time. Of course, now with our setting materials, the additives are a lot of our newer setting materials. A lot of the additives are already added. So again, you can avoid those problems. You can avoid a lot of failures with a lot of these products simply by reading the darn instructions, particularly uh, the limitations on, on, on the data sheets. All right, turning the page here, um, lack of education. Uh, fortunately, uh, groups like the National Tile Council Association, the Natural Stone Institute are out there educating not only installers, fabricators, restoration contractors, et cetera, but I see a lot of guys out there that just don't, don't think they need the education. You know, my father's been doing this all his life. He taught me how to do it. And, you know, guys, things change. Uh, there are new techniques out there. There are new materials out there. There are new setting materials out there. And if you don't keep up with them, uh, you're going to be left behind. You're going to end up with failures. And you end up with enough failures, you're going to be out of business. So uh, my pet peeve there, whatever number that is, is uh, lack of getting further education, you know, attending seminars, going to the trade shows, whatever. This next pet peeve I threw in there because it's a pet peeve and something that I have done in the past. I, I try to avoid doing this now, but especially back when I was contracting, I would take my camera with me, and this was way before cell phones. Now I'm aging myself, uh, and I would take lots of before pictures. I'd end up doing the job, completing the job, and forget to take an after picture. Well, guys, it's really hard to you know put a portfolio together if you don't show the before before and after. So, uh, uh, you know, I see that all the time where, you know, with today's technology, everybody has a cell phone. There's no excuse for not taking photographs both before, during, and after. So I highly recommend uh, that you do that. Um, another pet peeve of mine is when it comes to stain removal. And I know I did a whole show and I did several videos on stain removal, but you know, the number one rule, and I, I've said this over and over again, when it comes to removing stains is to identify the stain, uh, to do a little detective work and try to understand where that stain, what that stain is. And if you know what that stain is, it becomes easier to go to a stain chart and determine, okay, I have a coffee stain. What chemical do I use and a poultice or whatever uh, to remove that, remove that stain. Uh, staying on the installation uh, pet peeves, uh, another one I see, and I can't believe this happens. Uh, actually, I posted a video on one of my YouTube video podcasts not too long ago, which showed a floor literally exploding, popping up off the floor due to, and this is a pet peeve, lack of expansion joints. Uh, those expansion joints and, and that particular video was lack of perimeter joints, and there's some very strict guidelines uh, by uh, the NTCA and the Natural Stone Institute that says you have to have these movement joints. So uh, again, I can't believe how many jobs I actually see where those are an issue. 
Uh, those of you that know me know that I have a problem with this next one. And I know I'm going to sound like a broken record if you've heard me speak over and over again. And that's efflorescence. I hear so many of you guys out there using the term effervescence. It's not effervescence, guys. Effervescence is what happens when you drop the Alka-Seltzer in the water and it fizzes. That is effervescence. That white powder residue you see on the surface of stone and grout, brick, concrete, that is efflorescence. And uh, the best way to know the difference is to think of a fluorescent light bulb, and then you won't forget it. F fluorescent, as opposed to effervescence. Uh, another terminology that uh, I don't know if I would call it a pet peeve. I guess you, it's somewhat of a pet peeve, but uh, I kind of laugh at it when people say I have a verdi green floor or a verdi green tile or the stone I have is verdi green. Well, you realize that verdi is the Italian word for green. So in essence, what you're saying is I have a green, green marble or I have a green, green tile or I have a green, green floor. So it's not verdi green, it's verdi marble or it's green marble. You don't want to use the, the Italian term for it. Uh, next pet peeve is uh, for you contractors out there who do a lot of, uh, especially commercial installations, but it can occur also on tile installations. And that is not taking uh, moisture readings on your, especially a slab on grade before you install the tile. Uh, taking moisture readings, doing a, either a dome test or an RH test, probe test, RH probe test on there to determine whether you're going to have a problem. If there's any terrazzo installers out there uh, with epoxy terrazzo, uh, that is a big, big issue. If you have moisture coming up from that, that slab, uh, you're going to end up with osmotic pressure and osmotic pressure is going to cause a bubbling of that terrazzo. So if you ever uh, see a epoxy terrazzo that's bubbling, that's why. And we go over what osmotic pressure is in my seminar. And as a matter of fact, I posted on my Facebook page an excerpt of that particular um, section of the, of the uh, seminar that describes what osmotic pressure is. All right, again, the phone number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-9368 if you want to call in with your pet peeve or if you have a question. Uh, feel free to call in. If you'd like to send me an email, it's fhuston, that's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to hop on Facebook and uh, send me uh, a question there or your pet peeve on Messenger, feel free to do that. The Facebook page is Stone Forensics. Just do a search for Stone Forensics on there. Uh, and I'll uh, be more than happy to uh, hear you or read you or entertain you uh, with, your, uh, with your, your pet peeve. All right, moving on my list here, and that is this one. I get this one at least two to three times a week. I'll get a telephone call, generally from a retail customer that had a countertop installed that said, I have a crack in my countertop, and the fabricator claims it's a natural fissure. And... A lot of times the fabricator is correct. Uh, it's a natural fissure, and sometimes they're not so correct. Sometimes it is a natural crack. And, you know, if you look at it from a geological perspective, uh, a fissure is, design, is, is defined as a crack. 
but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a structural crack versus a natural inclusion, if you will, in the stone surface. And the best way to tell whether you're dealing with a fissure or dealing with a crack is with your fingernail. Simply rub your fingernail across the you know, supposed crack, and if it catches, if one side is higher than the other, chances are it's a crack. Um, if it doesn't, if your finger just nails just go smoothly across there, chances are it's a natural, it's a natural fissure. Um, another pet peeve of mine is, and I see this all the time with failures on countertops with laminations and with rods, uh, where polyester is used as opposed to epoxy. And I did a whole lecture on this on one of the shows you can go back and listen to, where, you know, guys, polyesters are not that good for bonding uh, when you're using a, a rod in your countertops when you're laminating uh, particularly for laminating outside polyesters do not like moisture polyesters do not like uv lights and polyesters become brittle over time so when you rod and when you do a lamination you should be using epoxy or some other alternative uh, glue and there's some urethanes out there now that work really well for this but uh, a glue that's designed for that and not necessarily a polyester, which, you know, I know why you use polyesters. You use them because they're quick, they're easy to use, they cure real quickly, where epoxies don't cure as quickly, but you'll have longer lasting um, issues with that. Next pet peeve, I told you I had a bunch of them, folks. Uh, next pet peeve is uh, showers. And I see this in shower, not only showers, but walls in general, where you have a change in plane, whether that be you know, for example, in a shower or tub surround where one wall meets the other or where the, the wall meets the floor, not using a flexible joint, uh, using a, a hard grout. You, anytime you have a change in plane, it, it's going to move. You know, the back wall is going to move at a different rate than the side wall. The floor is going to move at a different rate than the, than the wall. You want to use a flexible joint in there, whether it's silicone, whether it's a urethane. You just want to use some type of flexible joint to compensate for that movement. Otherwise, that line is going to crack. And in a shower, that's going to be a real problem because if it cracks and it comes out, water can get behind the installation and you have all kinds of problems. I don't need to go, go into that. And along that subject, and I believe it's my last one on my list here, and that is on your installs is using a good quality silicone uh, or a good quality glue. Do not use the cheap ones that are out there. Don't go to Home Depot and Lowe's and buy yourself a 99 cent of, of caulk. That's not the proper one to use, and it can stain, and I have seen it stain many, 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 many times. Okay, I think I'll come down off my high horse here for, for a minute. Uh, let me review my list here, and I, I think I pretty much, I'm sure I've got a ton more. Uh, you guys that have been to my seminars know uh, that I can get quite quite upset with some of these, some of these pet peeves, but uh, the whole whole issue here is hopefully to educate you on on how to not make uh, those mistakes that result result in those type those type of failures. All right, I'm going to wrap the show up. Uh, I want to mention if anyone out there would like to be interviewed on the show, uh, you have a decent product out there you would like to be interviewed on. Uh, feel free to send me an email at fhuston f h u e s t o n at gmail dot com. I'll also mention I'm doing the video blogs. If you go to the uh, YouTube and type in Stone and Tile Show, you'll get my uh, uh, videos that I have there. Some of them are, are quite interesting. The one I mentioned at the top of the show, which is the uh, uh, failure of the uh, the tiles popping up. 
so uh, again, uh, we will see everybody next Wednesday at the same time. And in the meantime, uh, thanks for listening, folks. And uh, keep setting those tiles, polishing that stone, and fabricating those tops. Uh, later, my friends. Thank you, Tough Skin, one of our gold sponsors. Marble etches and stains. Tough Skin guarantees it will not. Tuffskin provides a unique product and installation service anywhere in the USA with the proprietary stone laminate products. They protect marble countertops with an acid, oil, and waterproof guarantee. That's right, it's now possible to install marble, onyx, and travertine countertops without the worry of etching and staining from common household items like wine, lemon, coffee, or other acidic foods. People have been trying to figure this out for thousands of years, and Tuffskin surface protection has done it. Available in gloss and satin to match the countertop finish. Visit them online at toughskinprotection.com. That's T-U-F-F skinprotection.com to learn more.